Really glad to be able to open up the Word of God with you this morning and uh, talking about looking at examples in the Bible. I, I can't think of a better example about what real ministry is than looking at the example of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to read some verses here. This is the story, if you will, about the Last Supper and some things that take place at that Last Supper that are things that I think we can learn from. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Uh, I know there's been meals that I've had in my life where there's been sober conversation. Or maybe you've had a meal with your spouse where prior to that meal you had a little bit of a uh, we won't call it an argument, an intellectual disagreement. How about that? And you're sitting there eating that meal, and it's just kind of quiet, and you're kind of, you know, thinking about what she said or what he said, and maybe, you know, uh, I, I can get them back with this zinger or whatever else, and you're putting the food in your mouth. But, but there's certain meals in your life where maybe you had a meal after the loss of a loved one, and that meal really sticks out in your mind. Uh, there are certain meals that you may look back on in life, and you go, man, I can just, it's almost like I can taste it, I can smell it, it's like I'm there. I think for the Lord, this is one of them. Uh, this is the Last Supper. I know most of you know that, that, that meal by its name. Uh, look at John 13, starting in verse number 1. Now the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Talk about Javen mentioning the love of God and and how the Lord loves us like nobody else loves us. The Lord took it upon himself to put his food aside and his meal aside and put on a towel. And then he pours water in verse 5 into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet. And then he wiped them with the towel wherewith he was girded. I want you to get the picture. They're sitting there at their meal. And everyone's just kind of sitting around. It's kind of that lingering moment, maybe between the meal and dessert and everyone's quiet, and they've already talked about maybe who is the one that's betraying them, and they had their argument about who would be the greatest. We'll look at that in a moment. And the Lord just quietly steps away from the table, pushes the food away, and gets up and does something that nobody else has ever done in that group. The Bible says in verse seven, Jesus, or verse 6, rather, excuse me, then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter say to him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said to him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I love Peter, man. You're not touching me, Lord. The Lord's like, If I don't touch you, I got no problem. Okay, get me all. I'll just wash all of me. I'm all dirty, right? Verse number 10, Jesus said to him, he that is washed needeth not, to save to wa- needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. Talking about Judas. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments, was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? You call me Master and Lord. And you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet... Ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. And Brother Eric, if you'd ask the Lord's blessing on the word. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. 
If I were to say uh, today, I'd, I'd want your help filling in the blank, and I were to say ministry is blank, what would you put there? I think for a lot of people, they, they would say ministry is people, ministry is hard. Uh, some might go, ministry is just getting up and shooting your mouth off, and that's the minister. No, that, that's, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. Uh, ministry, authentic ministry, genuine ministry is not just about someone getting up and preaching a message. This is part of ministry, but this is not in and of itself all, uh, all inclusive of what ministry entails. And what the Lord does is he gives us an example of what real ministry actually is. I cannot think of a greater example in all of history or in the Bible of someone showing us what it means to do real ministry. And Jesus Christ shows us in this passage. Oftentimes we think of ministry, think of uh, getting a position or I'll be important once I get to do this in ministry. We've got some young people going to Bible college and I want them to know ministry is not something that you get when you graduate from Bible school. Ministry is something you ought to do every day as a believer. Every born-again child of God is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are a minister of the grace of God. It is not just the pastor with a suit and tie and the Bible in the pulpit that's ministry. You are supposed to minister to people around you. And you can't do it if you don't know what ministry is. Ministry is shown to us in this passage that I want you to remember that Jesus, up until this time, over and oh, in John 2 and John 7 and, and John uh, 7, 6 and John 7, 30 and John 8, 20, he says this in so many words, mine hour is not yet come, mine hour is not yet come. In other words, there was a timeline that the Father gave him by which he would know, now it's time for me to make the ultimate sacrifice, to make the ultimate uh, uh, payment for sins once and for all, to die for the sins of mankind, not just for Israel, but for the entire world world he knew there was a timeline and over and over he says mine hour's not yet come mine hour's not yet come look back one chapter john 12 look if you would at verse number 23 john 12 verse 23 and jesus answered them saying the hour is come that the son of man should be glorified now we're getting somewhere we're getting toward the end of his ministry on this earth and he showed for three and a half years, he, he, he walked with the disciples, and listen to me, they raised the dead, they cleansed the lepers, they healed the sick, they, they gave sight to the blind. The disciples were a part of that, and they got to experience walking alongside of Jesus Christ. They experienced all kinds of powerful events, watching the miracle of the 5,000. Can you imagine being somewhere with someone, and years down the road, someone says, man, I would kill for a piece of bread and some fish. And you go, man, one time, I, I, I'm not making this up. One time I saw a guy make 5,000 fish appear out of nowhere. Amen. I mean, they got to see all of that. And yet, after three and a half years, the ultimate test of their character is yet to come. How will they react when Jesus is betrayed, arrested, and crucified? All of the three and a half years was leading up to that moment. And depending, listen to me very carefully, how they would respond in an opportunity, listen to me, to minister. It would determine what they would do when that test came. You know what's amazing about that test? The only one that passes is the one that didn't even take it. Jesus Christ passes the test, and this passes the disciples don't. You know what the disciples are arguing about? Look at Luke 22. Go to Luke 22. I want to show you what the disciples are talking about. Right, at, The Lord is talking and telling them, I'm going to be betrayed, I'll be arrested, and, and so on and so forth in the hands of sinful men. And and, 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 and I want you to see their response to that. Look at Luke chapter, and before you throw stones at the disciples, can I remind you, the disciples are a reflection of believers today. We are just no different than disciples oftentimes. We know what's right. We've been taught. We've been shown from the scriptures. We know what the answers are. If you ask the question in Sunday school, the kids can respond. But why is there strife? Why is there a lack of a servant's heart and ministry? in the home, in the church, in the public square. I'll tell you why. Because we're not like Jesus. Look at Luke 22. Look, if you would, at verse number 24. Luke 22, verse 24. You say, what's going on? Well, go back to verse 21. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. He's showing them his, his burden, 
He's talking about how he's going to be betrayed and arrested. Let's look at the response. Verse 24. There was also a strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? Do you, get, do you kind of laugh when you read that? I mean, it's kind of bothersome, but it's kind of funny. It's like, you guys don't, don't realize the gravity of the situation right now. He just told you he's about to be betrayed, and they go, man, who do you think is the greatest among us? <laughs> it's, you ever talk to your kids, and you're telling them something, and, and it's like they, they, they completely miss everything that you said. And like, so when are we going to Disney World? What are you talking about? We didn't talk about Disney World. The Lord didn't talk about who would be the greatest. And yet their response to this moment in time is, which of us is the greatest? Verse 25, he said to them, the kings of the earth, uh, of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is great among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, as he that doth what? Go back to our passage in John 13. Can I, can I say that I, I, would, I would put forth to you this morning, and by the way, there are two classes of people here this morning. Either you've been born again or you have not. Either you're lost or you're saved. If you're lost, I want you to understand the moral of the story is that Jesus Christ will get down and he'll get down and he'll get dirty cleaning up a sinner and he doesn't mind that at all. He'll take all your sin and wipe it off on him and he'll still come out clean, amen? And you'll come out cleaner for it as well. However, I want to say this to those that are already saved, the majority of this message is aimed at you. I want you to understand that the moment that you were saved, God called you to minister. That means to serve to the needs of those around you. Human nature is such that we don't naturally think about other people. Am I right about that? Naturally, when your stomach starts growling, I'm hungry. When you're thirsty, I'm thirsty. When I'm cold. Listen, you sit in the car and you got eight people in one car, maybe illegally, I don't know. But you got eight people in one car. Listen, man, we're Hispanic. Get all the people in there you can, right? You throw them in there, you know? And, and so we're crammed in, and, and, and one person goes, I'm hot. One person, I'm cold. Uh, who rolled down the window? Why'd you say that? Why'd you? This, uh, the music's too loud. I can't hear it back here. What? It's like everyone's thinking about themselves. And when you get a group of people like that together in a vehicle called a local church, it will not last if everyone's thinking about themselves. The, the problem with the church today is people walk in going, who's going to serve me? Who's going to notice me? Who's going to realize I'm here? Who's going to say, great job? Who's going to, listen, it's not about that. It's about Jesus Christ and about other people. The Bible says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I'm about up to here with people that have a lot of Bible knowledge, but they have no capacity to serve others. I don't care how much Bible you know. How much Bible are you living? That's where the test is at. Three and a half years, these men knew the scriptures. They, they were learned in the scriptures. They, they sat under the greatest teacher that ever was, Jesus himself. And they learned about the parables, and they learned about the Antichrist, and they learned about the kingdom that would come. And, and yet, here they are at the Last Supper, arguing about who the greatest is among them. You know what the answer is? None of you. The answer is, Jesus Christ is the greatest among us. But let's be honest. We know that we're here to serve and yet oftentimes, nobody wants to get up from the table. <laughs> I don't know how your house operates, but sometimes if the process to make dinner was a messy one, and there's lots of dishes in the, in the sink, and the kitchen, I mean, the, the food's amazing, but the kitchen's a mess, you know, and everyone kind of lingers at the table a little bit longer. <laughs> you say, well, just enjoying mom's meal. Oh, sure, that's what it is. When it was McDonald's or pizza or whatever other thing, it was like, oh, 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 it just sucked right in. And now it's like, uh, you say, why? Because when you're done, the next thing is, hey, let's clean up. So the longer I stay at the table, the less responsible I am to actually have to get up and do something. You know why they didn't pass the test? Because they wanted acknowledgement. 
They're more concerned with self-preservation and self-gratification than they were service. I want to give you some things this morning that I think we can learn from the example of real ministry in Jesus Christ. And look, the, the moral of the story is not, Brother Joe, don't worry about this. We're not going to pull off your size 14s on Wednesday night and get a bowl of water and clean your feet. I promise we will not do that. And if we did do that, we'd make a teenager do it. I wouldn't do it. How about this? You talk smack, you lose in the basketball game, you're washing his feet. How about that? All right? But yeah. It's good for their character. It's okay, I promise. But we're, we're not going to start washing people. The, the moral of the story is not, let's have a foot washing ceremony. Because you can do the ceremony and still be just as wrong in your heart. It's about the example, not the ritual. Do you get that? It's not, let's get a bowl of water. It's more about what exactly was entailed in what Jesus Christ did. Uh, think about all the things that he does in this passage that we might just glance over. I want to dissect those. Number one, can I say this? Real ministry begins with confidence. Real ministry begins with confidence. You say, what do you mean by that? Look at verse number three. John 13, verse 3. Jesus, what's the next word? You know, his knowledge did not come from himself, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Now, if you would describe the meal, at, at, at the mood at that meal, some would say somber, some would say sad, some might say frustrated, uh, some might even say unsure, or maybe insecure, uh, like this. They went from this, who's the greatest, to who done it? You know why? Because all their confidence was coming from, what do you think about me? What do you think about me? How do I look in your eyes? You know where their confidence didn't come from? From God. You know why you're insecure? You know why you don't want to get involved in ministry? You know why you don't want to be vulnerable and serve other people? I'll tell you why. You're too concerned about what they think about you. The first thing you see here is that Jesus Christ knew where he was from and where he was headed. Hey, if you're saved, you know where you came from, amen? You know where your salvation came from and you know where you're going. But when your eyes are on other people and on situations and on things on this earth, you start thinking like this, am I greater than them? Am I better than them? And did, will I do it? Did they, who did it? You know what Jesus does? He knew. While there's all that insecurity there, and everybody's scrambling around wondering who did it and who's the one that's going to betray him. I, I heard my daughter tell a testimony about a young man that's in Bible school and, and uh, not making light of it, not, not making fun of him, but uh, just kind of a different kind of guy. He's kind of quirky. And, and uh, you know, you might be quirky if you spend a number of years of your life on drugs. Seriously. And, and even at your stage, God does not take all the quirky away. Amen? I mean, but you know what God can do? God can take someone from that background and reach others that came from that background as well. But, but I will say this much about this young man. He got up and he gave his testimony down in Bible school where they're at every Sunday morning when they do offering time. Uh, it's, a, it's a larger church, about 500 people or so. And so there's a number of young men that they'll call up uh, to take up the offering. And they'll go, okay, brother, uh, randomly, just pick a guy. Uh, you give your testimony. And you know what he said? He said, man, for years I tried this drug and that drug and that. I tried everything that there was. He said, you know what, I, 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 don't, I could not relate to any kind of real joy in life until I met Jesus Christ. He said, man, I don't have a good dad, and you know, I didn't grow up in a good home, and I didn't have this, I didn't have that, I didn't have a great family, I, I don't really have a relationship with my dad, but man, all the father that I needed was in God when I got saved. That's all I ever needed. You say, what is that? That's a lot of confidence. You say, where does that come from? From knowing who you're connected with. Real ministry involves you first understanding there's confidence not because of your abilities, but because of who has called you, because who you're connected with, because God as your father is saying, I want you to minister to others around you. Instead of going, God, I don't have this gift. I don't have this talent. I don't have this ability. Just say, you know what, God, you're right. I'm confident because if you said it, it's right. Insecurity is the result of you trying to fill a void with you or something or someone else only God can fill. You know why you struggle with insecurity? You're filling a void that only God can fill with something else. And you go, I'm not an extrovert. I'm not gifted. I'm not this. I'm not smart enough. And you know what the problem is? You're looking at you. God doesn't care about you. He says, look, I can use you if you're just willing to listen to my voice. Ministry begins with confidence. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. The Bible says 
we have no confidence in the flesh, being confident, Philippians 1.16, of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform until the day of Jesus Christ. You know where your confidence ought to come from? Not from you. Not your looks. And the older you get, the less you will rely on your strength and on your looks and on all that. You're going to have to learn, you're going to have to realize the confidence that you have as a child of God. It doesn't come from your abilities. It doesn't come from your ability to be a good speaker or anything else. It comes from who you're connected with. The Lord is the one. The, the, fa- the son was submitted to the father's will, and he knew what the father's will was, and therefore he would serve others because of that. Not one time does Jesus say, look at my great miracle-making skills. You ever notice that? He could have. I mean, if anyone on the planet could have done that, it would have been the Lord Jesus himself. But he always refers back to who sent him. When you say, I can't because whatever. And the Lord is calling, moving. I'm not saying calling you. When I say calling you to ministry, I don't mean you sell your house, you go to the foreign mission field. Look, if God wanted that, great. But most of us aren't going to do that. Most of us are just going to simply start with this. I want you to minister to your neighbor. I want you to minister to that mom that's coming to church burdened with issues. In her. I want you to minister to that young person that does not have mom and dad in church, but they come every single Sunday, and you can encourage them and minister to them. I want you to pour yourself into them. I don't know them. Get to know them. You say, what does that mean? I, I have to get away from myself and remember it's not about me. It's about who's calling me. Secondly, can I say this? Real ministry takes initiative. Look if you would at verse 4. He riseth. He riseth from supper. Who told him to do that? I don't even see that God the Father said, you must do this. I just see that he knows where things are headed, and he knows where he came from, and he know, knows who has called him to minister, and he sees a need, and therefore, because he sees that need, he rises from, he's got some initiative. You know what, I've learned this about successful people, they got initiative. And I don't care if it's a job or a family or whatever else. There are those that will wait until someone asks them, can you do this? Will you do this? And they may or may not do it at that point. And there are those that see a need and go about to fill it. You know what Jesus saw? He saw a need. He saw, look, everyone's enjoyed the meal, but something's missing. And, and I know what it is. It's the example of real ministry. I need to show them because if I don't show them, it's not going to happen. I read this. If there's a trait which, do, which does characterize leaders, it is opportunism. Successful people are very often those who steadfastly refuse to be daunted by disadvantage. I'm just not privileged or whatever else you might want to say. And have the ability to turn disadvantage to good effect. This was Jesus Christ's weakest moment by human standards. He's about to be betrayed. They're all going to forsake him and flee it. And he knows it because it was prophesied in the Old Testament. And yet there he is as a confident example of what ministry is. You know what you see there? Initiative. Can I ask you a question? How many times do you see something that needs to be done? And you go, well, I'll pray someone else does it. <laughs> How many times do you, do you see a need and go, Lord, I just pray you burden Brother Joe or Brother Steon to do that thing. Instead of saying, Lord, can I do that? <laughs> Even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. You know what Jesus Christ saw? He saw an opportunity. You know why a lot of Christians get burnt out in the Christian life? Because they view the chance to serve God as an obligation instead of an opportunity. Go with me to Mark chapter 6, if you would. Mark 6. Take you back a little bit in the ministry and life of Jesus Christ. And several thousand people gathered there, listening to the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. Nice Air Jordans, like those. Listening to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, and, and they're hungry. They've been there all day long. And by the way, the disciples are tired. The Bible says there was so much uh, going to and fro, and uh, they were going out and they were coming in. There were so many people there. The disciples were tired. Can, let's be honest about it. In the Christian life, do we ever get tired of serving? Yes, we do. Do you ever get, I'll say it this way, I I heard this years ago under the ministry of my preacher, Billy Haas, he said this, it's okay to get weary in the way, but don't get weary of the way. 
In other words, it's all right to get tired. It's, it's understandable that you get tired. But the reason why some people go from tired to quit is because they look at ministry, I've got to, instead of I get to. Look at Mark chapter number 6. You say, what are we learning here? We're learning about Jesus Christ and how he had compassion on those around him. And he didn't see people as a problem. But he saw people as an opportunity. Javen was talking about the souls. Listen, the Bible, the challenge as a Christian is to see people not as black, white, Hispanic, Asian, or, or rich, or poor, or young, or old, or Democrat, or Republican, or woke, or conservative, or any of that stuff. The challenge as a Christian is to look at people as souls. And to be soul conscious, if you will. And then once that soul is a saved soul, to be spirit conscious, to be aware of the spirit in which other Christians come into your presence. And sometimes it requires taking something from you to serve them. But it's in, in order to do that, it's going to take some initiative on your part. Look at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. You know what? I can tell you this much. Uh, when Isabella was younger and we first got a horse... She did not have to ride the horse. She was out there at 6 a.m. because she got to, got to have a horse. You understand? There's a difference. Uh, listen, when we got the, the new, uh, I don't know, the Wii upgrade, what do you call that thing? Switch? Switch? Is that what it's called? Don't look at me like you don't know what it is. Switch, all right? So when they got the switch, it, you know what I, I got from Ethan? You know what Ethan does a really, really good job? You know, Dad, it'd be really cool if you played the switch with us. <laughs> Dad, what do you think about that new game? Dad, I think it'd be fun if... Do you want to play? Yeah, I do. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's just kind of, No one's twisting his arm saying, you got to go play the Nintendo. He wants to do that. There's initiative on his part to finding a way. Look at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And, and can I show you what's going on here in this passage? Look at Mark 6 and verse number uh, 31. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going. And they had no leisure so much as to eat, and they departed into a desert a place by ship privately. In other words, we're trying to get away from people. Uh, there's some places that people move to, they don't, want, they don't want anyone on their property. Like, people move to certain places in Colorado, like in the mountains. They don't go there so you can go knock on their door and tell them about Jesus. They're moving there to get away from everybody. So the disciples are trying to get away from everybody. Is this making sense? They're tired. And listen, I want you to understand, the Lord is okay with you needing rest. God prescribes rest to Elijah when he's depressed. Rest is not a bad thing. But I want you to see the disciples are kind of going to shortchange what the Lord can do in their life. Look, if you would, at verse number 33. The people saw them departing, and many knew him, talking about Jesus, and ran a foot thither out of all cities, and out went them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people... And said, bummer, we're trying to get away from them. Is that what happens? He was moved with compassion toward them. You know what's funny about compassion? When you need it, you expect everyone to give it. But when it's your turn to give it, it's kind of like, well, they don't deserve it. You don't either. That's why it's called the mercy of God. Look, if you would, at verse number 35. Verse 34, rather. He was moved to compassion to them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, Preacher, we know that you can't read time. And it's like the four-hour message. Is it ever going to end? Like, when is this message going to be over? When do we get to go home? When do we get to rest? When do we get to eat? You, you say, what is it? They're, they're looking at it as a, how can I take care of of me. The only initiative they have is to take care of self. Jesus, on the other hand, is going, yeah, man, I'm tired. I've been with you guys. I've been the one preaching. I've been the one talking. I am wore out. But look, look at them. You want to send them away? Funny you asked that, preacher. Look at verse 36 and look at the response from the disciples. First three words in verse 36. Isn't that something? People that should know better that walk with Jesus. Are you seeing yourself at all? I am. Uh, you know, I've got my things to do too, you know. I'm busy. I love it when someone's like, I'm busy. Everyone's busy. God, just, just cut it out with the busy stuff. 
Everyone's busy. Everyone's tired. Everyone's wore out. Everyone's got a lot going on. But you know what? You're going to die someday. And your time to serve will be over. Let me, let me even go before that. Some of you that are younger, you're going to get older, and eventually you won't be able to do what you did before. Right. You ever go to the nursing home and look at those folks? And I've, Listen, I've gone in there. I've known people that literally were on NASA projects, geniuses. I remember a guy that was in uh, Pensacola. You remember this guy? And he would sit there like this. And while I'm preaching, I'm like, does he want to take me out in the parking lot? What's... I think I'd take him. I'm pretty sure I could at that point. I was in my 20s. But I didn't think that was the right idea, amen? But this guy's sitting there doing it, and one day I finally said, what's the deal with that guy? And the, the nurser goes, you would not believe it. That guy was on a NASA project. Brilliant mind, genius, gone. Whatever you got right now, you got it for a short time, and then it's gone. I don't care if it's your money or your talent or your strength or your musical ability. Whatever it is, it's here, and it's gone. You better use it while you got it for God's glory. So what they say? Get them out of here. We don't want to deal with them. It's just more people. We're tired of people. All right. A little test for you. Anybody here get tired of people? People are just awful. You know, you know what you're really saying? I'm awful. Are you not people? <laughs> Old 70s movie. Uh, was it Omega Man? Was it? Well, so the greatest people. <laughs> no, not like that, you know. It, th- one person got it. The rest of you like have no idea what we're talking about. 1970s, we're going to move on. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Brother Dennis, I'm glad you were with me on that. You're people. People are just awful. People are so draining. People, no, 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 no. Look in the mirror. You are that person. And when you start talking that way, you know what your problem is? You've begun to see people as an obligation. When I hear pastors talk about their people and you just get, getting frustrated with them, and it happens. I know some are like, oh, preachers would get frustrated with me. Oh, I know. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? I know this. Church people get frustrated with the preacher. It, it, the reality is we get tired of each other sometimes. We get, we're, we're different backgrounds and different ways of doing things and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, can I say this? We all know we're all connected because we got the same father. And we're all headed to the same place. And so the idea is this as a believer, looking at the example of Jesus Christ. Will you be like Jesus Christ or like the disciples? Maybe if I just sit longer at the table, somebody else will clean up. He will, but you'll miss out. I think about that woman in Mark 14. You don't have to turn there. But she comes in and she breaks that box of ointment. Who told her to do that? Nobody. She could. You ready? You know why you yell at your spouse when you're angry? Because you can. You know why you berate people that you disagree with? Because you can. You know why you gossip sometimes? Because you can. You know why you should serve others? Because you can. This woman goes in there, this woman that was not of great reputation prior to knowing Jesus, and she takes that box and breaks it open and anoints his feet, and that, that, that ointment, that smell fills the entire room, and everybody knows right away. It, it's kind of like there's certain kind of foods when you take kimchi. You take kimchi somewhere, you know kimchi's in the room. <laughs> All right, now look, I'm not trying to you know, diss Korea. I love, I love Korea, but I'm not a kimchi fan, All right. Uh, I just, don't get mad at me. I can feel the burn coming right now from some of you. Don't. There, there's certain foods, once they're open, everyone knows that food is there, right? Uh, I, listen, or a Latino guy that puts on way too much cologne. You know when he walks in, right? <laughs> there are certain things when they're in the room, you know that they're there. This woman breaks this box, and everyone goes, what's that? And they look at her, you know, they, they criticize her, and the Lord's going, are you kidding me? No one else had the initiative that she did, and now that she's doing something, do you want to criticize it? Yes. Who told Joseph of Arimathea to come anoint the body of Jesus? Nobody. Who told David he had to fight the giant? There's a man named Epaphroditus who's known for having served Paul and the early church. 
And he almost dies from his service. You know, I wonder who told him he had to do that. The answer is nobody. Real ministry involves initiative. Look back if you go to John 13. John 13. Can I say this thirdly? Real ministry begins when I become second. Real ministry begins when I become second. I want you to notice that Jesus Christ does not only know that the Father had given all things into his hands, there is a confidence there. He does not only rise up from supper, but I want you to notice in verse 4, he laid aside his garments and put on a towel. How humbling that must be to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to be the one that said, let there be light. And there was light. And here you are with 12 other men who don't want to get up from the table. And you push away and take off your garments and put them aside. And you put on a towel and you humble yourself like that in front. What a humbling experience. Real ministry begins when you become second. The Bible says be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. You are to prefer others ahead of yourself. By the way, if you're saved, the reason you're saved is because Jesus did that for you. You know why marriages suffer? You're not meeting my needs. Am I right? Hey, I got news for you. If you both look at each other and go, you're not meeting my needs, you don't go real far. Someone's got to take the initiative and someone's got to say, it's not just about me. I'm going to take initiative and I will be second. You know why families fall apart? You know why churches get wore out in ministry and some churches split up? You know why some Christian fellowship gets broken up? You know why some Christians never become what they should be? I'll tell you why. Because they always are number one. The bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. I am the one that matters more than anybody else in the room. Hmm. How about this one? Try this on. This is one of my favorite things in the Gospels. Peter, I love Peter, because Peter's me, man. Like, just sometimes, you know, you think something, it comes out of your mouth. And, oh, uh, I know I've told this story before. For those who don't know it, it's been a little bit. Years ago, there was a store called Motherhood Maternity. Remember that store? All right. And my wife was going in there to get something for... Uh, getting maternity dresses when she was pregnant with Ariane in Pensacola. I, could, I don't remember p- faces very well from the past, but I can still see this lady's face in my mind. It's not a deep spiritual story at all, but let me tell you what happened is we're there. I'm, I'm 20 years old, and we're expecting our first kid, and my wife is there uh, trying something on, and there's a lady helping her. And so, you know, in Bible school, they teach you to try to strike up conversation with people so you can get an open door of opportunity to witness, and, and this lady's helping my wife, and so I'm trying to just small talk, you know, and I I, I, you know, I'm just thinking, okay, well, how, where do I go from here? We talked about the weather, talked about the day, talked about how far along she was. Okay, so I go to this. I, I say, well, how far along are you? <laughs> Brother Hohola right away goes, ooh. <laughs> Bro, you, know, you want to know what she said? She says, I'm not. And it gets worse because now I'm nervous and I'm thinking, what do I say? So the first thing that comes out of my mouth is, oh, I thought you had to be pregnant to work here. Motherhood, maternity, I don't know, I'll just, sometimes things come in your brain, they shoot out your mouth, you go, you're an idiot, right, like, like, this is Peter, you know what Peter says, Peter says this, Lord, we've left our families, we left our boats, we left our nets, we left our fish, we left our identity, you know what he says, true story, what shall we have there for, Lord's like, oh, that's how you see that. So you felt like you lost everything to come follow me. You know what the problem is with that kind of thinking? With that kind of thinking, I'm always first. Can I, can I, can I tell you, if you're ever going to do real ministry, it's going to take you learning to lay some things aside. How about this? Lay aside your ego. I'm going to tell myself, when I first started in ministry and, and, and as a pastor, someone else would come preach a message in my church, a guest preacher, 
and they'd preach something that I had preached for, I don't know, like, I don't know, the last six months, maybe. <laughs> like over and over and over and over and over. And then this guy comes in, preaches this one message for 30 minutes. And everyone's like, oh, that was so good. I know what I need to do now. Lord's just showing me. I'm like, you jerk. I've been saying that for six months. And, and, you know, I used to struggle with that. And I used to, you know what the problem was? In my mind, if anyone was going to get the message across, it was going to be me. The problem was I was first. You know, I couldn't realize now, I don't care how you get it, but for the love of God, get it. <laughs> Lay aside your pride. Lay aside your need for recognition. How about laying aside your preferences? There are some people you're just going to naturally like. And there's some people you're naturally not going to like. You're not called in the body of Christ to like everyone. You're called to love everyone. And to serve them. There are some people that right away, they even there's some folks, they don't have to do anything wrong. They just laugh a certain way and you're like, mm. You know? Or they say something even in church. They might even say amen. The way they say amen, it's kind of like, like someone in your mind, in your mind's eye, it's like a teacher scratching the, clawing the chalkboard. Just the way that they say hello bothers you. And yet, whenever that happens, you have to check yourself and go, why am I like this? Why do I feel that way? To, well, maybe they are different. Maybe they are quirky or whatever else. But let me just tell you right now, we are all a little weird in our own ways. The more time you spend with people, the more you realize they're weird. Uh, you know what happens? Listen, I see this all the time. Uh, during the college years, it's the best. We're best friends. Let's be roommates. Bad idea. <laughs> right? Because then you realize, oh, man, they are weird. You know, they clip their toenails when they're eating dinner and all kinds of other weird things. <laughs> sure, why not? You know, it's kind of, hey, anybody remember Willy Wonka? Remember Willy, the old weird Willy Wonka? They're all weird. Johnny Depp just made it weirder, but the original one, the Will- Remember the girl that's sitting there? Was it Violet? She's picking her nose. You know what she says as she picks her nose? Spitting is a nasty habit. <laughs> that's like you going, they're weird. The Lord looks at you and goes, hey, <laughs> you better be glad they don't know everything about you. I know about you. Amen, amen, and amen. You know what made Joshua the great man he was? The Bible says he was Moses' minister. You know what made Elisha so powerful? Oh, I know. It was because whenever the Lord came down, he asked for a double spirit. He takes that cloak of Elijah and he smacks the water. Give me a double portion of Elijah's spirit. I I don't think that was it by itself. The Bible says Elisha was the man. Listen very carefully. Imagine being a grown man serving another grown man to the point that that grown man goes, hey, I need to wash my hands. And you take water and you go, hold still, sir. The Bible says that Elisha poured water over the hands of Elijah. You know why Elisha was used by God? Because he first learned how to serve. You know why he became number one at some point in life? Because he had to learn to become number two first. You know, I I think there's a problem sometimes. and, and, And listen, it's not at the fault of the teacher's in Bible colleges. They will tell you, I know I was told, you are going to have a lot of Bible knowledge, but you're going to have to learn how to help people, and you don't learn that overnight. They told us things like that over and over and over. Am I not right? They would tell us, you need to learn to humble yourself and go somewhere and sit down and be quiet and be a blessing to that church, and yet we come out with the Bible and all the knowledge and goes, you know what? I'm here, guys. The body of Christ is going to be better because I'm here now, and everybody must want to know what what I have to say. And can I say this right now? That's not how it works. The mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its serving capacity. Can you be second? If I, if I ever, and I mean this sincerely, if I ever get an understanding that someone's perception of ministry is, I've got power now, or this is mine, I will be very glad to relinquish some of that responsibility, and here's why. Because that's not what this is about. People are hurting. People are depressed. Some folks are suicidal. Marriages are breaking up. 
Kids are addicted to pornography. Kids. You got people addicted to drugs. People come into church bruised and broken spiritually. This is not the place for your platform. This is the place for Jesus Christ's platform. And for us to serve others. When I ask you again, can you be second? Can I say this? Real ministry is dirty work. Look at John 13. Look, if you would, at verse number 10. John 13, I'm sorry, not verse 10. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 5. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. I'm sorry, guys. It's just, to me, it's gross. You know, how beautiful, na, 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 the feet that go to the, I'm sorry, feet, the Lord says are beautiful. I think they're ugly. I'm glad they're hidden under your shoes. I just, anyone that has a foot fetish, you need help, man. That's just something wrong with you. The foot is the part of the body where all that sweat goes, and it's just nasty. I mean, some people got athlete's foot and just, you know, gnarly fungus toes. And and, and look, if that's one of you, hey, we're not here to judge you. We're just saying it's good that they're covered today. But my point is this, there's nothing glorious about kneeling before another person, taking their shoes off and washing their feet. It's a very humbling experience and it's dirty. But you know what's better? Keep reading that verse. Not only does he wash their feet with that water, but once their feet are, once he's done washing them, how does he dry those feet off? Whatever excess dirt was left over from an initial washing of the feet would get wiped on the only garment that he had on him. You know what that tells you? If you're going to help others, you might get dirty in the process sometimes. Let me tell you something, uh, uh, Olivia. Oh, the other day, the other day we took Olivia's diaper off. I don't know if it was after bath or when it was, but I'm sitting there and all of a sudden she gave me a present. Hallelujah. (laughs) Without the diaper being fully on. Oh, we got a live one here. (laughs) Listen, when you, are, when you are ministering to the needs of others, it's going to take something out of you. You know what some of you struggle with? Your schedule. Your schedule is your God. It's my time. My time. My time. My time. Let me say this, gentlemen. I mean this respectfully. But when you get married, you don't need to go hanging out with the boys anymore. Oh, I just missed my time. With the, you, you, you decided to get married. So, so now you serve your family. And you know what's awesome about that? When they grow up, they start serving you. Yesterday, I'm not just saying this. This is a blessing to me. I'm going to share it with you. My kids are giving me presents, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I never thought they'd do that stuff. You know, when they're little, they're just, they're just, all they do is they take. Can I get a witness? Come on, don't look at me like that. Some are like, oh, the chill, oh, suffer the little children. They take, okay? They're takers. But eventually they grow up and they serve. And you know, it's okay when you first get saved to go, I need. But at a certain point, the Lord's going to go, okay, you've taken. Now it's time to give. What what is the one thing that you look at and go, oh, I just don't want to. I want to get dirty. Maybe it's your schedule. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's getting out of your circle. I challenge the young people this morning. I said, go find an adult that you don't know and go talk to them. I don't know what it is, but you're going to have to get dirty if you want to minister to people. Every once in a while, babies get constipated. Okay? And when it's been 12 years since you had a baby and you don't remember what to do, Shake him over the sink. Like, what are we supposed to do now? I don't know. I'm not sure. Pray, lay hands on him. Put anointing oil. I don't know. But, I mean, you know, we're trying everything, including the things that are supposed to get things moving. And, boy, things are starting to move. Hallelujah. But i tell you what. Every once in a while, in the process of trying to clean up a mess, you get dirty. Are you listening to me? The very people that you're trying to help will sometimes turn on you. I spend hours and hours and hours and hours of counseling with people that have at the end of it said, we don't want you around anymore. You know, Paul says, the more I love, the less I be loved. You go, I want to be, be a preacher. Are you sure? 
It's not all as glorious as you think it is. You know what it is sometimes? Wiping the bottoms. You know how you come in this world? Needing someone to wipe your bottom. You know how you leave? Needing someone to wipe your bottom. And there's a short space in between where you get to return the favor to somebody. You know that woman at the well? <laughs> Disciples roll up and they see Jesus talking to her. You know what they were all thinking? Why is he talking to her? That's what it says in John 4. No one dared say it, but they thought it. You know what they're really saying? Lord, she's dirty. You know what the Lord's saying? So are you. Real ministry is dirty work. Can I say this in closing? Look, if you would, at John 13. Verse 15, for I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. I think verse 17 gets overlooked a lot. Americans talk about the American dream and the Declaration of Independence speaks of the pursuit of happiness. And I got news for you. If you're looking for your happiness, you're never going to find it. You know how you achieve your own happiness? Look what it says. If you know these things, happy are ye. Mm. Ralph Waldo Emerson, I don't know if the man saved or not, no idea, but he said this, the purpose of life is not to be happy. It is to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and lived well. Charles Dickens, the one that we know for having given us the Christmas carol, said no one is useless in this world who lightens the burdens of another. In other words, you know what you find? You find that when you are concerned about other people, somehow mysteriously, supernaturally, you become more happy. (laughs) And the most miserable people in the world are the ones that are thinking about Power and peace come from submission and service. Everybody wants power, everybody wants peace, but nobody wants to submit, nobody wants to serve. Can I say this? If you're here today without Jesus Christ, He will take you with all the stains and all the dirt, and He'll be the first one. He'll get up from the table. He'll say, don't stop eating, keep eating. Let me just clean you up. You know what he'll do? He'll take all of the sins of your past and he'll wipe them off on his towel. And he will dress you in his own righteousness and give you a brand new start at life. And if you're saved, you know what he wants you to learn to do? He wants you to learn to do the same for others and pass it on. Let's all stand, every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful for the example that you give us of real ministry. Lord, would you help us within our families, within our marriages? within our friendships, Lord, within this church, Lord, not to be first, not to just think about my perspective and what I want, what I get out of it. God, would you help us to be second? Would you help us to have initiative, Lord, and see that there's true joy, Lord, the, the joy that's eternal, the joy that lasts, the, the happiness. I can't wait for reunion day, Lord, to get up to heaven someday and get up there and meet up with all the people that I've been privileged to lead to Jesus Christ and have a rejoicing day in that moment. All the trials and all the difficulties and all the burdens are going to seem like a thing of the past, and they will be. Lord, it's going to seem like a blip on the radar in light of the glory that we will have had in that moment. God, would you help us to be willing to get dirty right now so that we can rejoice later on? Lord, teach us to be ministers. This world is filled with influencers, but not ministers. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Christian, are you a minister? Can you minister to your spouse? Can you minister to your children? Can you minister to other believers? Or is it all about what you get out of the situation? Can you be second? You know why some are still without the gospel? Because we're still first. You know why some Christians are not in church today? True story. Because we'd rather be right 
then do right. some people in your path that may need what you have and you're going to have some choices to make then I'm busy I've got this going on I'm important I matter I got this I got that yep or you might say to yourself I'm just done with people you better thank God he's not done with you I've seen people come to church and get on fire for the Lord and then an old habit, an old crowd comes around, an old habit creeps up and then they disappear for a couple of weeks. And you say, preacher, I knew they were going to fail. Well, their failures are more public. I hope and pray they make it back. You say, why? I'd rather have someone here struggling than someone sitting out and quitting. you to envision the opportunities that God gives you this week as an opportunity to lay aside what's yours and go, how can I minute, how can I serve that person? Lord, give me a spirit of service. Give me a mind like that. I've had people say, <laughs> I had someone ask me this recently. How come you don't hate people? What do you mean by that? Well, they're just they're selfish. Yeah, but I'm selfish, and you're selfish, and we're all selfish, but God still ministers to me. So my job is to take that, and with all the flaws of those around me, and all the shortcomings of those around me, say, let me serve you still. And Christian, when you come to a place where serving God is an obligation, I have to, versus I get to, watch out. You're not that far from denying the Lord like Peter did. Some of you may agree or disagree with me. Look, I've watched pastors with 20 years plus of ministry experience, several degrees of Bible education, walk away from all of it. You know why? It became an obligation. There's no longer an opportunity. Say why? Because when you start trying to gain your confidence from people instead of God, it's just naturally what happens. You can't. I am so thankful that Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven, came down to this sin-cursed world, and just, I mean, if you look at the story of Jesus Christ, it's down, 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 and then up from the grave he arose. Hallelujah. There's all these steps down before the victory. Do you get that? He goes down from heaven to earth. He goes down to the Samaritans. We'll learn about that next Sunday in Sunday school. He goes down to the Gentiles, the Greeks in John 12. He goes down after his death and he's buried. He goes down to the depths in the center of the earth to preach to the spirits that were in prison. And then he comes up. You go, man, I like that up part. You can't get up until you first learn to get down. got something from the word of God this Sunday morning pray you leave a little bit differently maybe consider spiritually not physically all right but consider grabbing a bowl and humbling yourself and going to someone else and going it's not about me right now it's about you how can I clean how can I serve you that's when the Christian life becomes real that's when ministry becomes real let's close out in a word of prayer and uh, thank you for being here today. Encourage you to be with us Wednesday night. We started a new series on Wednesday nights on 
what the Bible says about social media. Uh, preview. It's not you're all wicked for having it. That's not the preview. That's not the moral of the story. But when you deal with anything in this life, you should know from a biblical perspective what you're dealing with. So if, if you'd like to learn more about that, we invite you to come back Wednesday at 7. And of course, the kids will be dressed up as dragons or something else downstairs uh, in Disciples Bible Club. Let's close out in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask one of our young people, uh, Lenny, if you would, I picked on you enough today, uh, if you would close this out in a word of prayer.